to go ahead and grab your seats. Well, good morning and, and welcome to Redeeming Grace Church. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it is good to gather with you uh, on this Labor Day weekend. Uh, you know, we just finished up our series in 2 Corinthians and we're getting ready to start a new sermon series uh, next Sunday. But today we have the, the privilege, the joy, the opportunity to hear from a dear friend uh, out of the book of Revelation. And so I want to introduce to you Jeremy. This is Jeremy McLean. Uh, Jeremy is the pastor of Mercy of Christ Fellowship Church in Lincoln Heights in Washington, D.C. Uh, prior to that, Jeremy served as an elder at Capitol Hill Baptist Church and then helped plant Anacostia River Church before 2018. He and his family and a small group of people went out to plant this church in Lincoln Heights. And, and Jeremy's done ministry in that area for a long time, uh, seeking to share and show the love and grace of Christ to his neighbors. And God is doing a, a great work there. I'm actually going to interview Jeremy at the end of our time together today, just so you can hear a little bit more about the work that, uh, that is going on in Lincoln Heights and the church that he's pastoring in that community there. Uh, Sojourn was partnering with uh, Mercy of Christ Fellowship for a few years, and as we've joined together as one new church, now we as Redeeming Grace Church are continuing to partner with, uh, with Mercy of Christ Fellowship and come alongside to learn from them, uh, to encourage them, to help them as well as they help us. And so it's a great joy to have my brother here, my friend, uh, serving us by opening up God's Word, taking time out of his church. He has another uh, brother that's preaching there this morning. So just grateful for your time, man, to come and, and share this word with us. Above all, what you need to know is not only is Jeremy a dear friend, but he loves Jesus and he loves Jesus' church. And I think you'll hear that this morning as he opens up the word. So before we dive into the text, I want to pray for him and then we'll have our scripture reading today. So let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks just for the opportunity it is to gather together this morning. God, I thank you for the gift of the church. Uh, that is, we have all kinds of different things going on in our lives and so many different things going on in the world that you've provided this as a regular rhythm and part of our lives that we would come together to be reminded and refreshed in the grace we have in and through Jesus. And God, to remember that we're not in this alone, that we are a part of the larger body of Christ. And we even have that uh, in a different way this morning of hearing from a, a pastor of another church, a church that we get to partner with and, and fellowship with. And God, we're grateful that there are more churches in this area that are preaching and proclaiming Jesus. And so God, I pray for Jeremy as he preaches this morning. Would you fill him with your spirit? May his confidence in preaching this morning not be in himself, but in the power of your living word Amen. as you apply it to our lives today. Bless us through his preparation and through your word that we might be encouraged in Christ to set our gaze on Jesus with a hope for the future we have in him. Amen. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grace Chung is now going to read our scripture, our sermon text this morning out of Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. 
The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Praise to the Lord. I apologize for the mistake on my part. I'll actually be doing chapter 21, starting at verse 1 to 22, 5. So instead of asking you to come back up to read it, I'll just <laughs> read 21, 1 to 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and will be, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the tribe, uh, 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure uh, the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 12, stadia. Its length and width and heights are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The fountains of the wall of the city were adorned with, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth barrel, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopracy, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, 
like transparent glass. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So the book of Revelation was written by the apostle John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit around 94, 95 AD. John was in exile and, the life, and life was proving difficult for the church. Revelation is considered a, an apocalyptic literature. It's filled with images and symbolism that tells the story of redemption. With images and symbols, we learn about the, the history of the church and how uh, there will be much conflict, but in the end, Christ and the church will be victorious. Lord will judge the earth, will judge the world, and then he will usher in heaven. Last week you finished up 2 Corinthians, and the title of the message was Grace for the Road. Well, today we're going to take a glimpse of where that road is headed, and it's headed to God's glorious eternal kingdom. We at Mercy of Christ Fellowship Church, we, we evangelize together at least once a month with the hopes of, of sharing Christ and building relationships. And I've been forming relationships with one, uh, one gentleman after evangelism. And while at lunch, he shared with me that he didn't believe in Christianity. He believed that Shakespeare wrote the Bible and he didn't believe in the afterlife. He believed that heaven was just a state of mind. I respectfully disagreed about Shakespeare writing the Bible and about <laughs> the afterlife. And I said, no, heaven is a place. He said that when you die, your body goes back to the dirt, you stop existing, and that's it. I said, no, God is far more purposeful than that. It doesn't just end in nothing. Then he finally said, well, then what is it? If it's a place that exists, why hasn't anyone seen it? I wonder if you're thinking the same way. What, what is heaven? Where is heaven? What will heaven be like? Does it truly exist? These are just some of the questions I hope to touch on this morning. And this is important because it's important because if you're going to travel life's road, life, life's road gets difficult. If you're going to travel life's road with any amount of joy and hope, and it's vitally important to have a vision of where you are going and to be confident. So we're going to look at heaven today. And while no one, and I mean no one, has ever experienced the final, ultimate, eternal place called heaven, the Lord has given us somewhat of a blueprint in his word. It's a glorious blueprint. We see it in a little bit in Revelation. And the reason why I say no one and I mean no one is because this final, ultimate, glorious heaven is yet to come. Verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. My wife and I bought a new vehicle two years ago. The old car that we had wasn't working, didn't fit for us anymore, and so it was time to upgrade. It was time to get something new. So being a church planter with four kids, my brand new vehicle was a 2009 Honda Odyssey. <laughs> Woo-hoo! 
No knock on the 09 Odysseys. Now I see people love Odysseys in here. <laughs> but praise the Lord, that's not the type of new we're talking about. Type of new we're talking about is not just next. And it's not just an upgrade. This new would be a glorious renovation slash transform, transformation of this present heavens and the present earth. This world will undergo a magnificent overhaul. From this overhaul, a wonderful, new, glorious heavens and earth will come about. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we're told that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens in Genesis 1, verse 1, speak to the stars, the galaxies, the moon, the sun, outer space, and everything else above us. Then the earth in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, speaks to the land, the mountain, the seas, and everything else that's earthly. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we're told that God created everything in the world, the heavens, the earth, and everything in between. And, and it was all good. Creation was good, functioning without any problem. But if you look around, it doesn't seem all good, does it? It's not quite perfect. Droughts, famines, hurricanes, wildfires, pollution, tornadoes, natural disaster after natural disaster. And it just reminds us that this world needs an overhaul. Romans chapter 8, verses 20 to 21 speaks about this world, this being in, in bondage to corruption. That this world has been made subject to futility and there it longs to, it needs to be set free from decay. And while we should be good stewards of creation and should care for this world, let's be clear, the only way that this massive creation will ever be rid of its problems is if and when God, in all of his power and wisdom and might, drastically changes it. And the Lord will do that. He has decreed and promised that he will. And it will be far better than what it ever was before. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, the Lord said, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 13, we're told that the present heavens and the heavenly bodies will be dissolved and it will melt with fire. And from that burning and somewhat, somewhat of a purging, out will come a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. This is the new heavens and the new earth that John is referring to in this passage. Notice it says that the sea will be no more. If you're someone who goes to the sea once a year while on vacation in the good weather, you're probably wondering, like, what's wrong with the sea? <laughs> but if you're someone who makes a living off of the sea and who has to be on the sea in all types of weather and storms, and then you understand the sea could be dangerous. The sea could be scary. In Jewish literature, oftentimes the sea is a symbol of chaos of disorder, of things being unsettled. So remember, we're, we're looking at a lot of symbolism here. And so when it says that the sea is no more, it is, it is teaching that all chaos and all tragedies and everything that's broken about this world will, will pass away, will be no more. 
will be brand new, unimaginably better, heavens and earth. Perfectly fit for God's holy and beautiful city. Look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. As the capital city of Israel, Jerusalem had become very significant to the Jews. The temple was erected in Jerusalem. And it was in the temple in Jerusalem where God would temporarily meet his people. God had designated Jerusalem as his holy city. Jerusalem was holy not because it was pure, but because God had appointed it to be his dwelling place where he would meet his people. And here we see that in the end, God's perfect dwelling place, that perfect Jerusalem, that perfect city, the heavenly Jerusalem, will one day reside in the new heavens and the new earth. This place will be beautiful, beautiful as a bride on her wedding day. I've never seen, I've never seen an unattractive bride on her wedding day. Every bride who walks down the aisle is adorned with with their best dress, best shoes, top of the line makeup. Brides are absolutely gorgeous on their wedding days. And And this city will be beautiful as a bride. A beauty tailored for the beautiful people who will be there. God and his people. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. In the beginning, there was no separation between God and man, but after sin, There came separation. Separation occurred. And now because of sin, separation between humanity and God exists. A divide has been created because of sin. There is a physical, spiritual, emotional distance between us and God because of our rebellion. And one of the major themes of the Bible is God making a way for humanity to dwell with God forever without any hindrances. Well, family... It's in this dwelling place. It's in this holy city, this new Jerusalem, where God will dwell with his people. That's where he will reside, where his abode will be. He will dwell with them, and and the blessing is that not only will he dwell with his people, but God himself will be their God. You say, isn't God with us now? Yes, he is, but... But because we're still in these fallen bodies, in this fallen world, and not in the eternal, final, ultimate kingdom that's depicted here, there still remains some separation. That's why Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit and full of God's presence, could say on many occasions that he had to return to the Father. This is why Paul would say that he longed to be with Christ. We know how it is. You know what it's like to be with people, but, not at, but at the same time, not all the way with them. Think about the pandemic. Did Zoom, phone calls, never text messages. And in a sense, to some degree, we were with each other. And in some degree, uh, oh, yeah, we were, we were uh, near each other. But, but there still was a closeness that was missing, wasn't it? 
It was in that closeness that was missing. It was felt. But, but, but now when, we're, when you're able to gather together again to some degree, that, that closeness is, 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 is stronger. You're able to be in each other's presence. And there's something about being in the presence of other people. Being near them. That brings an extra measure of blessing. And family, in heaven, all separation and all distance between God and man will be removed. We will be with him and near him as close as close can be. And it will be forever. I wonder if there's anyone here who has ever felt like God wasn't near them. Who have cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You've called out to him for help and felt like he was silent. You've reached out to him and you felt like he was nowhere to be found. And because of that, some of you may have reasoned in your mind, well, the Lord, you can't be here. You can't exist because if you were or if you did exist, if you were here, then you would not have allowed this pain to occur. Or some of you might say, Lord, if you are there, then you must not really care. You must be hard-hearted because if you did care, then you would not have allowed this tragedy to happen. The problem of pain and the problem of evil is a real problem. I performed a funeral for a young girl in the community earlier this year. She graduated high school, was attending college, loved life. But while riding home with her mother, some random people started shooting at each other. The bullet went through her back window, struck her in the head, and killed her instantly. And now almost every day on her Facebook page, I see her mother put up a, 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 a face with a tear on it saying, and talk about how this is the worst year of her life. Some of you have experienced loss, the loss of a child, loss of a loved one. Some of you have experienced infertility or some other pain. The problem of evil is not a philosophical question. The problem of evil is not something that just can be debated in books. The problem of evil leaves real scars and real tears and real heartache. And the real and only satisfactory solution is seen in this text. God will be with his people. He will be their God. And in that new place, God will not provide an answer to the problem of evil. He'll provide a tissue. Verse 4, he with the tender touch of a father, verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Family, on this side of heaven there is death and disease and tears and pain but in that eternal glory with God, in that place, tears and pain will be no more. On this side of heaven, God watches, he cares, and he counts all of your tears. None of them are lost. But on that side of heaven, he washes every single teardrop away. Our God cares. 
He has an answer, and the answer is in glory. Some of you are struggling with depression and you see no end in sight. Some of you are struggling with sin and can't imagine what freedom would feel like. Some are battling chronic illness that keeps them up in excruciating pain all night. Tears just come down without you even knowing why. The call is not to buck up, chap. It's not get it together. It's not be a real man, be a real woman. The call is to wait, to keep your hope and your trust in the Lord, to let verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6 resonate in your heart. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these, th these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Look at those words. He said, behold, I am making all things new. The call is to listen to the Lord who speaks from the throne, who says, I am making all things new. Your pain might say, give up. The devil might tell you that God is punishing you for, from some past sin. The skeptics, might, the skeptics might say that God doesn't exist. But people of God, in your, in your pain, listen to God's voice. He says, no, no, no. What's going on is I am making all things new. And believe it. Believe it because of the one who speaks from the throne. The Lord is the one who said it. And he cannot lie. He is always trustworthy. He is true. We can know that he is making all things new because the Lord said it, because he wrote it, because now we're reading it. We can see it, believe it, take hold of it, and trust it. The one who said it is the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha Omega, the Alpha and the Omega in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, and other passages is the Lord God himself. The one who is, the one who was and who is and who is to come. It's the Lord Almighty. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. The Lord God calling himself the Alpha and the Omega is testifying that he is the beginning and he is the end. He knows the beginning and he knows the end. He determines the beginning and he determines the end and everything in between. And with his almighty power, he makes everything happen. And he will direct every course of life. He directs all course of life towards its glorious end. And if you're in Christ, that glorious end is in that glorious kingdom with him. And there's nothing that can stop God's plan from coming to pass. He is making all things new. It's so certain that he could say, it's done. It's so certain. It's so unstoppable. It's guaranteed that he could say one sentence, say, I'm making all things you. The next sentence, say, it is done. Because it surely will happen. People might feel like orphans. 
might feel like they're separated from the Lord. There is a place for you. He will not leave you as orphans. In, his, in, his, in, the, in, the, in the Father's house, there are many rooms. Lord Jesus said that if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And there I, there where I am, you may be also. There is a glorious place. It's a beautiful place. In verses 9 and 21, the angels reveal just how beautiful this city is. He discloses more about the bride of the Lamb. The city is referred to as the bride of the Lamb in verse 9. And and, and it's it's so grand and so great that he has to, he takes them up to a high mountain to see it. And it's so wonderful that it's beyond words. So we can, again, we just continue to grasp for imagery, Im- images and symbols and metaphors and illustrations to try and depict the glory of this city. We see it has the glory of God. It's the radi- its radiance is like a most rare jewelry, like jasper, which for us would be like a, like a clear as, like a diamond. Clearest crystal. You'll also read in this section that the, the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. It's just mind-blowing how, how clean and pure and holy this city is. The place is perfect. Perfectly inhabited by all of God's people. All the people of God will be there. No one will be left out. So you have 12 gates guarded by the 12 angels with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. That represents the remnant of Israel who longed for the coming Messiah and who placed their faith in the Lord before the the Messiah came. Then you have the foundation of the walls that, that had the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. This represents all the people uh, after the death and resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus Christ who now looks back to the cross and places their faith in, in the Christ that they have now, uh, that, have, that the apostles bore witness to. All under the old covenant who placed their faith in the Lord, longing for the Messiah, all under the new covenant who placed their faith in the Lord, who've trusted in the Messiah will be in this city. The apostles, the foundations are the apostles of the Lamb because it's the blood of the Lamb that perfects all the saints. And all of the saints who perfect in this city. This city is the perfect, perfectly inhabited by all of God's people. This, this city is a perfect cube. So you'll see that it's 12,000 stadia in length, width, and height. One commentator writes that the 12,000 stadia is approximately 1,500 miles, the distance between London and Athens, between New York and Houston. And the point is not the length. The point is that it's a size that's too large for the imagination to take in. The point is not the measurement. The point is how great and how holy it is. The, the other place that was just that was a cube was the Holy of Holies. Spectacular, it's great, it's holy, it's secure, it's secure, its security is seen by the angels guarding at the gates, its security is seen by the thickness of the walls. It says 144 cubits by man's measurement. That's 17, that's 72 yards thick, but it says an angel's measurement. 
What's the point of saying an angel's measurement after it says a human measurement? That's because it's just reminding us that this is all symbolic. No one knows what an angel's measurement is. But we knew that these walls are thick, demonstrating the, the security and how, how, this, how this kingdom is unshakable and how we can't be penetrated. The walls, all the walls and these, these gates, you see so many different jewels and they're different colors. And it's just demonstrating the full array of the beauty of that city and how precious, how precious the city is. You would think this place would have a temple. But look at verse 22. I mean, look at chapter 22. I'm sorry. Verse 22 of chapter, of chapter 21, he said, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Again, the temple was a temporary earthly structure where God would meet his people, where God's glory would dwell. The good thing about the temple was that it was an earthly habitation of the Lord. The discouraging thing about the temple was that it was only temporary, and only a few select people could go in to be near the Lord at certain times. But in the new heavens and the new earth, the temple will be no more because everybody will be near God at all times. No obstacles, no hindrances, no outer courts, no courts for the Gentiles, no barriers, no veils. All will be directly in the presence of God. The temple is, is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb, and the glorious radiance of the light of God that, that at one point was hid behind the veil, the, the, the glory of the light of God will now radiate all of heaven. That's why verse 23 says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Goodness is associated with light, Bible. Darkness is typically associated with trials and tribulations and evil. And here we see the father of light, the author of goodness, the light of God, all of goodness, filling this place. For there would be no need for a sun or a moon. Perfectly good. Sometimes it's hard for us to imagine what this heaven would be like because we take what we think of to be as good and we say, well, then will we be carving wood in heaven or will we be playing basketball in heaven or, or will we be playing golf in heaven if that's what you like? And we'll be, we'll, so we have all these things, how what we imagine good to be. And I don't know if any of that would be in heaven. I just know it would be good. Yes. Because God is good. And the only reason that you like those things is because God made them good. And he will have a whole slew of things in heaven that are good. Because his goodness will fill the kingdom of God. The radiance of his light and his glory will fill the heavens. Jesus is the light of life. It's the lamp. We also see that it's by this nation, it's by the, this light that the nations will walk. 
verse 24, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and the gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. Uh, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. I was visiting a friend and noticed that he had left um, his front door open. I was like, you can just leave your doors open like that? It must be a very safe place. And this is how safe the city is. That the gates will never be shut by day. The gates will never be shut. Every threat of the nations will be no more. All of the nations that raised against the Lord Jesus Christ, that plotted against his reign, all the nations that mocked and tried to keep his glory from spreading, all the nations that tried to build up their glory will now be done away with. They will walk in the light and the glory of the Lord. All of their, all of their glory will succumb to the glory of God, and, and, and they will bring whatever glory they had. It will be now uh, in, in this heavenly city. Nothing false or detestable will enter it, though. Only those who are in the Lamb's book of life. And it's called the book of life because it's life at its fullest. In verses 22, in chapter 22, as you read those first couple of verses, it says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as the crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You see, this is full of life. Got the water of life flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of the city. On the side of this river, you have the tree of life. And there, these trees, the tree of life is full of life. It has, uh, it has a fruit of all kinds, and it's yielding all fruit in all of its season. And it's healing for the nations. We've already seen that death will be no more and that and that same truth is just reinforced here. There will be a tree of life with healing for the nations. It's not saying that people will get sick and then get healed and sick and then get healed. This is just signifying how healthy the place will be, how much life will be there. It will be the most healthiest place that can ever exist, full of life. And one nation won't be greater than another nation or have more life than another nation. All the nations will be full of life and vigor and it will be great. It will be great because the life that's there will be true life and the life that there would never end and it would never dwindle or fade. Why? Because there no longer will be a curse. Number three, I mean, chapter, I mean, verse three, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This place will be full of light and life. 
because the curse would be no more. Earlier, the verses spoke about the beauty of the city, and, and the city was portrayed as a beautiful bride. Then in chapter 21, verse 9, we see that the city was, was the, and is the bride of the Lamb. And the reason the city is called the bride of the Lamb and is portrayed as a beautiful bride is because the people in this city are the bride of Christ. The people of Jesus, the people of the Lamb is the bride of Jesus. When God's people get to heaven and see him face to face, that will be like the, the glorious consummation of the wedding. Traditionally, when a husband and wife get married, the bride receives the last name of the bridegroom. Well, in glory, when the veil is removed and the bride, the church, sees the bridegroom, Jesus, the wedding ceremony will be complete. And it's as if we will hear the final words, now I pronounce you, Mr. and Mrs. Lord Jesus Christ. His name will be on our foreheads, underscoring that we will bear his name. There will be an inseparable intimate union with Christ, with the Lord that will never, that can never be separated. And it will be with each and every one of his people. Each and every one of his people will be his bride. And they will have the same beauty as the city. They will be precious, like all of those rare jewels that we saw. They will be secure and safe, never to be condemned, never to be accused, never to be attacked, never to be cast out. Each person in that kingdom will be perfect and holy. They will be without spot, without wrinkle, and without blemish. No sin of the soul and no corruption of the body. And as the bride of Christ, we will spend eternity worshiping the Lord and reigning with him. That's why verse 5 says, and the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord of God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever with him. Humans were created to worship God and to rule with him. Adam and Eve were given the charge to, to be fruitful and to multiply and to reign over the earth and to, and to, and to cultivate the land. And, but the rule was, their rule was lost due to sin. And our worship has been hindered due to rebellion. But in heaven, God's people will be restored to glory. And we will work and sing and play and cultivate and design and create we won't procreate because there won't be any marriage in heaven. But we will create and it will be awesome. We will reign with him to the glory of God. And it will be for eternity. Sometimes when the night gets late, you start to think, oh, my goodness, that means the day, whatever you're doing good for that day that was good is coming to an end. Well, the night will be no more. There will be no end to the glorious reign and worship that we will be having with our Lord. I guess the question is, is this your final destination? 
Will you be there? Will you be found in the Lamb's book of life? Are you the part of this bride? Can you know? Yes, you can. Just look back at verse 6 of chapter 21 really quickly. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning of the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. If you're like me when you're planning a vacation, the main question is not where you're going or how much fun it will be. The main question is how much does it cost? And you would think that a place so wonderful as this will require a payment to get into, but, but it says you don't have to make a payment for this. You don't have to pay to get into this city. In fact, you can't pay to get into this city. Our sin has created a separation between us and God, and our sin has created a debt between us and God, a debt that needs to be forgiven, a debt so high that you and I can't pay it. Anyone who thinks that they can pay off their sin debt to God doesn't know how sinful they are or doesn't know how holy God is. Our debt is too high for us to pay, but praise be to God. But the debt can be paid for you. You could enter into this, to this place and receive life without payment because the payment has been made. Throughout this book and throughout our text, we see the, the lamb is mentioned. Who was this lamb that is mentioned? Well, in the book of John, we read in chapter 1 that when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is that lamb who takes away the sin of the world. How did he take away the sin of the world? How did he take away our sin debt? Well, he took it away through his perfect life, his death on the cross, and through his resurrection. On the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus was thirsted. On the cross, Jesus was in darkness. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment for man's sin so that their sin debt can be removed, so that they could be with him in eternity. You don't have to make the payment because the payment was made by the Lamb, Jesus. So what's left for you to do is to drink. To drink. Do you feel thirsty to be with God? Do you feel thirsty to be rid of your sin? Do you feel thirsty to be holy? Do you feel thirsty to worship him and to reign with him? Then what you have to do is drink. When it says drink, it means to believe, to trust. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If you're thirsty, come to Jesus and believe. Believe in what he has done. Believe in who he is. Believe in what he has done and making that payment on the cross and believe in who he is. 
Jesus is co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent with God the Father. God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, the Lamb, are separate persons and yet one in essence. The eternal Son of God has always been divine and will always be divine. He is equal in glory with God. That is why the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. That is why the light of God and the Lamb gives heaven its light. That's why the river of life flow from the throne of God and of the Lamb. That's why the throne of God and of the Lamb is in the center of this glorious place. They are one. You have to believe that Jesus is fully divine, fully equal, fully glorious. You have to believe in that, who Jesus is and believe in what he has done. And you have to hold on to that belief in all circumstances until the day you die. And that belief has to be what satisfies you. Satisfies you so much. Then when you look at this list of being a coward, being detestable, sexual immorality or sorcerers, you say, I don't want any of that. I don't want those actions because I've been filled with the Lord Jesus Christ. And none of those actions, none of those lifestyles give me anything. That's what it means to believe in Jesus and to be satisfied with Jesus. And those who are satisfied with him enter into that glorious place. Those who are not satisfied with Jesus, who therefore engage in all of these works that we see, will not enter into that place, but instead they will enter into the lake of fire. They will enter into eternal damnation without God. I hope you don't go there. Heaven is too good for you to go there. Place your faith and trust in Jesus. I'm concluded. The question is, uh, when, when will all this happen? You ever ask yourself, when will this happen? I know when it will happen. I'm going to tell you when it's going to happen. <laughs> Don't kick me out of the church. Look at verse 7. And behold, I am coming soon. Look at verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. When will all this happen? Soon. <laughs> you say, that's not helpful. Well, it actually is helpful. <laughs> you know why it's helpful? Because if, if you think oh, it will happen in 2,000 years, you might give up. If you think it will happen in 10 days, you might even throw in a towel, depending on how much pain it is. I'm not telling you when it is. I'm just telling you it's soon. So hang in there. He's coming with that wonderful city. And you will dwell with him forever. And that'll be a glorious destination. Dear me, Father, we thank you for your word. You've written it. We ask that you would write it on our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Satisfy our thirst with yourself. Set our minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Help us to long for that place. And we ask that you would come soon.
and bring us to be with you, to worship and reign with you forever. It's in Jesus' name, amen.